Hey guys, welcome back to Esthetician on the Edge, the podcast. Had an overwhelming response to the last episode. Y'all were about as fired up as I was over that whole bully issue with that interview. So maybe there is hope for the world yet. Also, before we get into the show, I posted a single t-shirt and a single tote bag for sale in my Insta stories last week. I know I've been promising you guys merch forever, but hey, COVID, hey, poor. (laughs) I'm doing it as kind of a trial order. That's why there's only one, just to see if there is any actual interest in merch. So it's just a two-week limited run, and that's it, and then it's over. If it sells, awesome. I'll release some more. If not, then you know what? Screw it. We'll shelve the whole merch idea. No biggie. But just letting you guys know. Okay, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about making the transition from being behind the table to being behind a podium as an aesthetics teacher. I'm going to discuss why it sometimes feels like we want to throw in the towel and switch careers, and we're going to talk a little bit about being a professional product, exactly what that means in our industry. The Skin Empress reached out to me last week to ask if it would be possible for me to talk a bit about pay comparisons from the treatment room to transitioning into the classroom as a teacher. And I thought that would actually be a great idea and that I could cover some of the other things you need to know when you are making that transition because several other people have expressed interest in teaching. First of all, Why do you want to be a teacher? And I know that sounds crazy, but it is a legitimate question to ask yourself before you make the transition. Trust me. I find that when I talk to other teachers that have made that transition, the answer is usually one of four things. One, you think you'd be a little bit more fulfilled in your career if you were teaching others your knowledge. Two, you need a steady paycheck. So you got to have X amount of dollars coming into the bank account every single week. Three, you got to have benefits and insurance. For some reason, your life has taken a turn. You're getting a little bit older. And you know that at a steady paying job, you're going to have benefits and insurance. Or four, you're starting to lose use of your hands, which is going to happen to all of us. And I'm going to tell you what has to happen where I am as a teacher. Now, it could be slightly different in your state or if you're overseas, or if you're our neighbors to the north, it could look totally different. So always check with your local governing board for any kind of definitive information on how to get your teaching certification. To be a teacher in my state, you're required to have a license, which means you've got to do another short program to collect hours to test. And I can't remember because it's been a long time, it's, it's really short. I want to say it's 300 hours. It might even be less than that. And then you have to take a theory and then a practical test. And then boom, you are licensed to teach. You are also required to take continuing education units or hours to maintain your license. And of course, you have to renew every other year so that the state board gets their money too. And that's pretty much it. That's all you have to do to stay current and to stay licensed. Very easy to become a teacher. As I said, it varies from state to state, but here where I am, you also have to be a practicing esthetician for at least two years. Maybe it's three, but either or, you have to be practicing as an esthetician for a couple of years before you can even apply to 
I think before you can even apply for an hours program, I might be wrong on that, but you can't test until you've been a teacher for, or a, an esthetician for two to three years. And honestly, all states, every state should be doing this if they're not, because I've seen schools hire students that literally, literally just graduated from an aesthetics program and they hire them in as apprentice teachers and this apprentice teacher will be teaching the incoming class that was right behind them. It's ridiculous. What does a newly licensed esthetician know about anything? Hold on. I, I know the answer to this one. They know nothing, nothing, because I knew nothing and I tell my students they know nothing. The only thing the school is looking at is how much money they can save by hiring this person who's not licensed yet. They can save so much money, tens of thousands of dollars in salary. And sadly, that apprentice teacher, you know, they're so excited to have that position because usually they're very passionate about the industry, but they usually end up running a clinic or a classroom because the school can't find or they can't keep real instructors. If you're looking into starting a program, like an aesthetics program, always ask if the person teaching you is licensed in the field of aesthetics. A lot of times they are not. They're hairdressers. You always want to also ask how many years your instructor has been an esthetician and then ask how many years they've been licensed to teach. All of these things, they are going to affect the quality of your education. Now, that does not mean that a brand new teacher can't teach you things, especially if that teacher has been in the field of aesthetics for a number of years. I'm more interested in red flags like, oh, she's been an esthetician for a year. <laughs> no, that's not going to work. Uh, or she's actually one of our apprentice teachers. Nope, still not going to work. That is not enough experience to teach others how to navigate this industry. All right, pay. Pay can range from mm, about $14 an hour to $30 an hour. <laughs> yeah. Now you guys know why some of y'all's teachers didn't give a shit if you learned or not. I mean, honestly, they can go to Target and make more money than putting up with y'all's messy asses. Most schools, or at, or at least the schools that I worked at, they pay salary, which I'll tell you, on paper, salary, it looks fabulous. Because if I'm sick for two days and I can't go to work, guess what? I still get paid. Yes. But... <laughs> What that also means is any extra activity the school has going on, you work for free. So let's say the school is doing a fundraiser on a Sunday. You don't work Sundays, but you're going to be required to be there because it's a school event and your students will be there too, so they need supervision. So you work for free. If a, uh, if a meeting is scheduled at 7 a.m. and you're not scheduled to be there until 8.30, you're not getting paid for that extra hour and a half, your salary. If you have to meet with the director at five and you technically get off the clock at five, you're not getting paid for that meeting because you're on salary. So don't think you'll ever get rich teaching. <laughs> you won't, I promise. You work for free a lot. Uh, let's see, hours. The hours that you work, they vary a lot from school to school, but your schedule, once you get it, is usually set in stone, which means if you're scheduled to work until five, there's no leaving early because clients aren't coming in. You also can't take those wonderful spur-of-the-moment long weekends or last-minute vacations. Any time off has to be planned out well in advance. And there's always a chance that 
even though you request the time off, you're not going to get it because someone else has already asked off or there isn't anyone that can cover your shift. A typical schedule, there really is no typical schedule at school. There's a couple of like I said, I've worked at different schools and I don't think any of them has ever been on the same schedule. But it could be a five-day schedule where you work Tuesday through Saturday. Or it could be a hybrid three-day that's 12 hours long and then you might have a like a half-day in-service type day. Or it could be a four-day, 10-hour day. But you always want to plan on working Saturdays because most schools are open on the weekends because it's the busiest time on their clinic floor so their students are going to get more practice. And schools are also trying to teach students that you've chosen an industry where Saturday is just another day. Weekends don't exist for people who are in our industry. Now the fun stuff. What does a teacher do? Let's talk about teachers' duties. Now I know from personal experience that people that are not in our beauty industry, hi mom, I'm talking to you, they do not give nail, massage, cosmetology, or aesthetics teachers the respect that they deserve. That we aren't considered real teachers. Let me tell you, you are a fucking real teacher when you teach aesthetics, cosmetology, massage, or nails. Your duties are exactly like the duties that any K-12 through teacher has. You'll be putting together lesson plans, classroom activities. You got to know how to use every component of um, the Microsoft Office programs. You administer tests, you create tests, you create worksheets, you grade, you correct assignments. You have to ensure attendance records are correct. You input grades from tests and assignments. You create a healthy, structured learning environment that has to be inclusive to everyone. You attend educational seminars and events. You attend so many meetings. You have to speak at meetings. You organize events for students. You police behavior and you police dress code among students. You help coordinate graduation ceremonies. You have to speak at graduation ceremonies. Sounds like a real teacher to me. How about you guys? There's a lot to it, but that's not all of it. There's more. When you teach a trade, something where you're working with your hands, you, you got to teach the trade, right? You have to be able to perform and explain what you're doing while you're doing it in a way that every single student, everyone understands and can mimic what you've just done. You've got to be able to answer the same question that could be posed in a million different ways by 25 students without losing your shit. You have to be able to control a classroom of adult students who have paid to be a part of the program, but for some reason, they don't want to show up on time, dress as they should be, and participate in the program that they paid for. Yeah, you tell me how that works. You also get to listen to adults complain about everything because, and I quote, I'm grown. Like, that is supposed to explain their behavior to me. Yeah, you're grown, so how about you act like it? And you do your damn homework, and you pay attention, and you get off your phone, and you learn to come back from your break on time so I don't have to send your grown ass home. Hmm. I actually had a 32-year-old woman, 32, 32, with two kids of her own. You guys, she, <laughs> she had her mother, I don't know how old her mother was, she was probably in her 60s. But she did come. She came in and complained to the school about how unfair it was that her daughter 
was expected to do homework and assignments and still care for two children, that she should be given special consideration due to her circumstances. Yeah, grown folk, they are a problem. Um, to put your duties into perspective as a teacher, I thought it would be fun to run you guys through what one of my typical days as a theory intro teacher was like when I taught. Just some background as the intro teacher, I had students for roughly three months of their program and I taught them six to eight facial routines. And you got to remember, they know nothing. They come into me fresh from the streets. So that means I have to teach them how to cleanse, how to do towel removals properly, cotton removals properly, how to apply products the correct way, how to move like an esthetician, how to talk like an esthetician, consultations, ingredients, analysis. I had to teach them the theory of being an esthetician. And then I have to teach 10 to 12 massage techniques, all their machine work, any chemical peel that they do. We went through an entire milady textbook as well as the workbook in those three months. I had to teach the school's own philosophy and theory as well, which at that time, it was, I think it was two, two textbooks to get through, as well as the Milady book. All of that done in a three-month period. All right, so an, a day for Esthetician on the Edge as a teacher. The official day started at 8.30 for me. That's when I got paid. But I got there at 7.30 because I had to get the classroom organized for the day's practicals and for any demos and for theory work. I ran off tests. I checked workbooks any other assignments. I queued up all PowerPoints, instructional videos that we'd be using that day. I had to gather anything that I'd need to teach theory. So make sure there's extra pencils, pens, markers, uh, scratch paper at everybody's stations. And then I went into the laundry room. If someone else hadn't already done it, turned on washers, switched out um, damp clothes into the dryer, turned on dryers, pulled any laundry that hadn't already been pulled into the classroom. Then I had to sit down, pair up students in a way that was fair and would cause the least amount of bitching, have some kind of extra, we'll call it an icebreaker activity, planned in case we finished early or they pissed me off and I needed to punish them. I had to inventory the supplies to ensure that I had enough things for everyone to do their activity. Uh, And then when I didn't have those things, I had to run them down in this massive building. I had to answer questions from students who needed help with either their skill work or their book work. Administer tests for students who'd missed them because they can only come in before class. I had to attend a meeting that could have been an email. And then I had to answer emails that were stupid and never should have been sent. Basically plan every single activity down to the second, including bathroom breaks because I had so much to get through in such a short amount of time and I had to do all of that by nine o'clock because our day started at 901 regardless of anything. I worked through God I would (laughs) and I'm not kidding I would probably say 95% of my lunch breaks I worked through them all because I needed to continue to work I couldn't get everything done I had to grade papers, grade assignments, check workbooks, make PowerPoints or change and make adjustments to PowerPoints. I had a lesson plan for the next day. I had to answer questions from students. I had to answer questions from management. I had to referee arguments. I had to keep the bullies in check. 
I would literally stand at my podium and eat while I was grading papers with one hand or answer questions from students. On the the rare occasion that I didn't have anything to do, I would lock the door to my classroom, all of the doors to my classrooms, so I could eat in peace. And I will tell you, they would still knock on the door. They would still bang on the windows to try to ask me questions to get in. Oh, it was crazy. And then at five o'clock when the day was over, the students would all leave. And then I had to spend probably the next 45 minutes to an hour double checking their cleaning and their stocking, checking laundry, again, answering more emails, grading workbooks because that is never done. Uh, If I needed to run copies for worksheets or tests or handouts, And then I had to communicate with my co-teacher because we always had to be on the same page about issues or things that we need to do going forward. Also, still talking to students who had issues with either schoolwork, with the school, with their financial aid, or with another student. When the last thing was done, I would turn off computers. I would haul textbooks I needed to take home and my laptop into my car. And then I would make my way home only to spread all of that shit out onto my kitchen table so that I could work some more. And then when I finally did finish and I went to bed, I dreamed about facials. (laughs) I dreamed about school and I dreamed about students. And I did that four days a week. And on the fifth day, you might think I rest, but I don't. I had a planning day. And the planning day never really got used for planning because there was too much to do. And I had to babysit students who couldn't figure out how to come to school when they were supposed to. Now, doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> I have no idea why I loved teaching because reliving that is giving me a headache. But I did. Uh, and if that sounds like an adventure that you want to take, go for it. Like I said, I loved teaching until the point that I didn't and moved on. If any of you have any more questions, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to tell you about teaching. Um, I'm always happy to talk to teachers. So anything that I can do to help with that transition, reach out. You know, I will answer any questions to the best of my ability. So good luck to you guys who are wanting to go out and to be teachers. Okay, in the next segment, I had someone ask me what I thought about all the the professional brands that you used to have to walk into a brick and mortar store to buy. And generally, to buy those, you, you would have to go into a spa and get those from an esthetician. Now you can get all of those things online. And like you, I'm... <laughs> I'm not happy about it at all, but I do understand why brands did it. And honestly, if you or I, if we owned a brand, I'd probably do the same thing just to be able to stay viable in the current market. But as an esthetician, it sucks. It really does. The worst of the worst, though, is when um, they can buy it at a reputable site and they can get it cheaper than what I can sell it to them. Or if it's the same price as what I sell it to them, they can get like some kind of rewards points for purchasing. That sucks. Like that's awful. (laughs) It really is. And you you probably know what, what store I'm talking about. But before all those brands went mainstream, so to speak, and that's been years ago, You'd have like little outbreaks of black market goods being sold on eBay or you could get them 
at, at the clearance at CVS or occasionally Amazon would have stuff on it. But it was really an easy thing to circumvent with clients. We knew that those products were more than likely expired or they were discontinued runs um, or they were just something that people had dumpster dived and got. And we would tell that to the clients and the clients were horrified, right? You don't know what kind of product you're actually getting. But now, ugh, now you can purchase legitimate PCA skincare products from PCA on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Or Neocutis. Neocutis is on there too. And you can get genuine product on Amazon sold by Neocutis. I can't argue with that. I really can't. I mean, it comes from the company. And and I can't even say, well, you have to pay shipping, so I'm still cheaper. No, I'm not. <laughs> if they've got Prime, they get it shipped for free. And they're probably going to get it the next day from one of the million of Amazon drivers so I've lost that argument too. But I do remember when all of this started happening. I remember when La Roche-Posier, they first hit CVS shelves. Y'all, we were shooketh in the beauty world. That brand, oh my God, that brand, it had been used. It, it was such a coveted brand. And you could only find La Roche-Posier in high-end spas. Now... I walked into CVS and there it was sitting next to fucking Noxzema. No, I knew that was the end of an era. Everyone was predicting that that company would be out of business in a year without estheticians behind it and selling it. But we were wrong. They are still going strong. Still, they still are a fantastic fucking product line. And they still managed to make L'Oreal, their parent company, $36 million last year, um, sitting at CBS and Target next to Noxzema. Ugh. It was the same, though, with Dermalogica. I don't know how many of you all have been in the industry long enough to remember Dermalogica. It was the brand. We gasped in horror when they made the transition to Ulta. This had been a staple brand at schools. It had been a staple brand in spas and dermatologist offices for like a decade. But I mean, I guess they made the smart choice. They're raking in money for their parent company, Unilever. I think last year they made $125 million. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't go mainstream? And some professional companies, they do try to pacify us, us professionals, with things like, we can drop ship to your client and giving us points or credits if someone comes online to their store and mentions our business. But it still sucks. I want my clients to buy products from me. I'm sure you guys do too. Anything that they buy from me, of course it helps me personally, but I can take that money and put it back into offering more services or more options to that same client the next time that they come in to see me. Those profits, they go back into my business. But I hate to tell you, it'll it'll never go back to the way it was. Never. So the only thing that we can do as an industry is evolve and figure out how to retain retail sales in-house and still make some sort of profit. And one of the best ways of doing that and I know you guys get tired of me saying this, but is to educate your client. Educate them while they're in the service and at the end of the service on the type of home care that they need to take with them that day, right then. Yeah, they can get in they can get online, but they aren't going to get the person-to-person -person recommendation that you give them. And they aren't going to be able to sample the product if they get it online. And even with next day shipping, 
they've got to wait for the product to get there. And you know people, they want instant gratification. They want it yesterday. So play on all of that. Yeah, you can get it from Derm Store, but it'll take a week to get here. The sooner you use it, the sooner it's going to start working for that client. So give that client an experience when they are in your shop and they'll want to continue that experience immediately at home with the products that you sell them. I think I answered that question. (laughs) I tend to go off on tangents and get preachy, but no, to answer your question, I fucking hate that pro lines are available everywhere. I feel like you can get pretty much anything on any website and it's legitimate. And I really do. I'm just waiting to like pull up to Starbucks and see a bundle offer of a white mocha and Jan Marini cleanser. I don't know. God, let's hope that never happens or we are screwed. So the last segment of the show, I thought I'd have a bit of a, a pep talk, a real talk or well, as peppy as my grumpy ass can get. I get quite a few messages each week from estheticians that feel like they've dropped the ball in aesthetics and they're done. They're over it completely and they feel like failures. It can be something as simple as just one little screwed up appointment or they've had a client that was horrible or a bad review. And it seems like to them, at least, the world would be better off if they just stopped being an esthetician. And I know what they're wanting. They're wanting me to tell them that it's going to get better. They'll be better. And this happens to everyone. And it does. All of those things are true. It does. And it will get better. But I find a large number of them think that I and the people who have a number of years in the industry, that we don't screw up anymore. That every day in our room is rainbows and unicorns. All of our clients are wonderful and they can't wait to get to that point. Um, <laughs> it's not that way, guys. Let, let me let you in on a little secret. I still have shit days. I still have shit clients and I still fuck up. Most of us do. Now, I know there are some estheticians out there right now who will swear to you that in the 20 years that they've been in the industry, They've never put a foot wrong. They, they're either lying to themselves or to you. Bad happens no matter how much experience you have. Simply because you can't control all the variables at play in a service. You don't have complete control over your client and what they do at home. And right now in what feels like the end of days, <laughs> it's hard to not think the worst. Sometimes it's hard to get out of bed. But get your ass up and get out there and keep on doing it. We all have those days. We all question what we do. You are not the only ones. I promise. I think a couple episodes ago, I told you guys I was questioning what I was doing. So you screwed up. Who cares? You screwed up a brow. And it feels shitty. It really does when you mess something up. But shit happens. You messed up a brow and a state away, someone else left a chemical peel on too long. Down the street, someone else dropped wax into a client's hair. Across the road, someone else dropped tint on a client's white blouse. We all screw up. Stop being so hard on yourselves. I say that to you, but no, please no. That I have days when I can't take my own advice. I can't just brush it off and keep moving. And I'll give you an example that happened recently. I had, uh, I think it was two weeks ago. It, it probably will be two weeks by the time I record this. But I had, oh my God, it was probably one of the worst days I've had in a long time in the spa. And it happened, the day happened on a Wednesday. 
um, or right in the middle of the week, one of my clients that I'd had the previous day texted me bright and early in the morning on a Wednesday a picture, which is, oh, it's never good when they want to send you a picture of a terrible, I mean, terrible, terrible, terrible purge reaction from a facial that we'd decided to try on her, like I said, the previous day. Immediately after responding to that text, I go into a service with a brand new client and she was getting a dermaplane treatment. And not only, not only did I slice her damn nostril, I left so much hair behind that I saw at the cash register when she was checking out that it was embarrassing. I was embarrassed about how much hair I could see. Two appointments after that, I get a, te- I get a text that I had a cancellation notice come in from a client that I had seen the previous day, which was a Tuesday. Now, I had pre-booked her next service before she left, and that was less than 24 hours later. She was canceling, and the only reason she would cancel that soon was if she was unhappy with her service from yesterday, right? That's what was in my brain. For me, (laughs) those three things happening so close together, that was the cherry on top for me. It was all the proof that I needed that my time was up. I was a trash esthetician that I should just fucking quit and go do something else. Maybe I should get back into teaching. Maybe I couldn't cut it in a room, was all I was thinking. At the end of the day, I cleaned up. I was moping around, listening to sad music on Alexa. Normally, I I take all these things in stride. I have a pretty healthy ego, so I can just kind of brush things off. I know that I am not superhuman, and I'm going to mess up accidents happen, blah, 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 blah. But some days, y'all, some days that shit, it just sits with you. You know what I mean? It is hard to shake. So I drove home in silence, replaying the entire day through my head, convinced, convinced the lady that I'd cut was going to get an infection and sue me. (laughs) The, the purging client, She was never going to come see me again because she thought I sucked. And that just meant all my clients knew that I was a fraud and a failure. And all of them would be canceling just like that last lady had done. Because I'm a shitty esthetician. Yeah, I know. I can be super dramatic. My husband came home (laughs) to find me reading an article online about how to become a paralegal. (laughs) But he is also used to my dramatic reactions when I do have them. And he taught me down off the ledge. I eventually got over the day with the help of some cocktails and a serial killer documentary. But I know it'll, it's going to happen again. I'm going to question myself again. I'll doubt myself, my place, and my skill as an esthetician. Because it's only natural to do so. Because... I care about the quality of my work. I care about the people that are coming in. I want them to be happy. If you believed you were the baddest bitch in aesthetics all the time, you would never grow. It's not healthy to believe that. Because when you were 100% on all the time, you don't think you need to grow. Because you think you are the best that you can be. And then one day you look around and you realize everyone else has evolved. Everyone else is doing something better. 
and your ass is still applying cluster lashes. I try to learn from anything that I screw up. What could I have done? What could I have done to make it better? With the client who had been purging, I found out later that it was an issue with what she was using at home too. She was using stuff that she shouldn't have been using and that she didn't disclose to me. So she had a purge reaction. And the poor client that I... (laughs) That I totally screwed up. I sliced and diced her, man. Believe it or not, she came back. I don't know why. I would have never come back to me and I would have left a bad review. But I learned a lesson from that. The reason I cut her was because I was not using the blades that I normally use. I had to borrow a blade from someone else and they didn't use the same kind as me. And I was super uncomfortable using the blade because it had a smaller working surface and it was so dull. I went through four blades in that service. Uh, so I learned not to procrastinate and to buy the blades when when I need to buy them. Now that canceled client, the the one that was the cherry on top, well, that one, it didn't work out so well. It seems that... I have priced her out of my treatment room, and that sucks, but for me to grow and to offer more as an esthetician, I had to set my prices at a certain point, so I'll, I'll just have to live with losing a few clients here and there. It's part of the growing pains of being an esthetician and being in our industry. Shit happens. So what I want y'all to do, fucking pull your shoulders back, chin up, tits out, and do the damn thing. You are an amazing esthetician who just happens to be human. You're going to make mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. You've got this. Trust me. I've been in the industry a long time. You make a mistake, you learn from a mistake. So remember, you got this. Oh, and shout out to uh, Tito's Vodka and my never runs out Boda Box for helping see me through this insane year of questioning myself and my damn career. Thanks, guys. (laughs) All right, I don't have a Pam of the Week this episode, but I do have a wonderful, embarrassing esthetician story of the week brought to you by someone who wants to remain anonymous. And after you hear this story, you might know why. She says, I was a wide-eyed, rosy-cheeked, and fresh out of the gate, a VEDA student, ready to get my hands on some faces and delicious skincare. On this particular day, I had worn black-heeled boots that clicked when I walked. I know, I know, rookie mistake. Also, not suitable for a day of facials. Well, I was working my way around the treatment room trying to trying to stay on my toes and off the heels. Alas, I was still click-clacking around. I silently kicked my boots off and continued the service in my socks. As I worked my way down her legs, massaging while the mask sat, I felt something wet and sticky on my foot. Strange, but I carried on unbothered, silently moving around the room, but my foot felt tacky and was repeatedly sticking to the cork floor. Being a mega fluff facial, the room was pitch black so I couldn't see anything besides the soft orange hue from the salt lamp. I pulled the sticky wet thing off my sock and held it up to the light. I was absolutely horrified to discover I was raw dog holding (laughs) a used panty liner. 
Completely rattled, I quietly placed it into the trash and stepped out of the room while the client snored away. Sprinting to the staff room to find my whole left sock covered in blood, I vaguely remember scream whispering to my coworkers about what just had happened. I still don't know to this day how I mustered up the courage to finish the facial, then dead ass look this woman in the eyes on her way out. <laughs> Sincerely, a completely rattled Estee. <laughs> oh, I love that. I loved all those descriptions. All right. Thank you for that story. Okay, that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you all for the fabulous five-star ratings and taking time to leave reviews. It really does keep the podcast alive on all the uh, podcast platforms. So thank you guys for that. As always, wishing you guys a pan-free week. See you next time.